Oh look, you clicked play on your favorite video game nostalgia podcast to trip down memory card lane. Instantaneously, a voice starts droning on about the Stanley Parable. You sit and listen as he goes on and on about the history of the Stanley Parable. Wait, no. Now it's the history of its creators. Oh no. Now they're talking about who likes and doesn't like the Stanley Parable. Oh, what a bother. What else do you have to do? Guests would just have to sit there and listen to yet another episode of A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 101st episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we use one game relevant to the current week in game in history to tell you a story. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week we're looking back at the Stanley Parable, which saw its first release on on July 31st, 2011, as a free modification for Half-Life 2. And away, away it went. I'm David Kasson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who sits all day at his desk in room 427 and presses buttons on a keyboard. He's my brother, Rob Kasson. Rob, what buttons do you push? How long do you push them? And in which order? Well, Dave... Normally, it's Y or N. It's a quick tap, and, you know, it just depends on uh, what's going on. Sometimes you need a Y or an N. That's all you need. Yes, sir. What are we playing this week? Well, Dave, this week has seen some RuneScape, some Rocket League, some Escape from Tarkov, some Oxygen Not Included. I don't think there's anything else. How about yourself, Dave? Um, what did I play this week? What did I play this week? I played Oxygen Not Included. I played... I can never remember what I actually play. Uh, I played the topic of today's con... Uh, uh, whatchamacallit? Stanley Parable? Ultra Deluxe. Well, we're looking at the old one, but I played the new one. And I don't think I played anything else. I think it was a pretty basic week. I played a lot of Oxygen Not Included. So, Rob, have you ever played the Stanley Parable? I cannot say that I have, Dave. No. None of them? Negative. Are you aware of what it is? I've heard of it, um, but I don't really know too much about it. Have you experienced it? Do you know people who have played it? I'm yeah, I obviously know people who played it, but I haven't. Not nor me. have I experienced it. Not me. I mean other well, people. Your people, are you not? That's true. It was just when it came out it was a topic of conversation. That's all. That's I'm just wondering I if mean, it was a topic of conversation in your social group. Not in two thousand eleven it wasn't. It was all about portal. Well, I mean, okay, fair enough. For those of you who don't know, The Stanley Parable is a story-based video game in which you play as a silent character named Stanley, alongside narration from British actor Kevin Brighting. As the story progresses, the player is given the choice of different paths. Now the whole game is narrated. You can follow the narrator. You can also disobey the narrator, which will then be incorporated into the story. And depending on your choices, there are many different endings that you can experience. It's a very unique video game. It may have been copied a lot now, but at the time, there wasn't anything like it. And even now, to a certain extent, there isn't anything like it. I wanted to take a moment and tell you, for those of you who listen who don't necessarily play video games, what it is. Because it's really hard to talk about this game and the history of this game without talking about what this game is. Because what it is is very much wrapped in its 
history more so than a lot of other games because of the the nature of what it is and what it asks of the people who play it. So figured I'd start with the game introduction today. But on to the history, Rob. On to the history, Dave, because I'm sure everyone was curious why you started talking about what the game was. Yeah. I mean, that's I, crazy. We never do that. I know. That's just crazy. We have we have a we have a I felt it necessary to go against the narration today. That's all. So. Ha 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 ha. Good one, Dave. So around 2008, Davey Reedon was experiencing life the way I'm sure that many of us and our listeners have. By day, he was taking classes at USC as part of their film school, discussing, I don't know, Chris Nolan or Charlie Kaufman. And by night, he was all about video games. Like many of us, he enjoyed thought-provoking stories, the kind found in games like Half-Life 2, Portal, which you just brought up, Braid, Bioshock, the Metal Gear Solid series. We covered Metal Gear recently. These engaging video game stories were his thing. That wasn't all he was into, of course. In one interview, he mentioned early on that his uh, early gaming history was dominated by Nintendo platformers. And he made a comment that I enjoyed. He said, no matter what Nintendo does with each new Mario game, he's going to eat it up like a kid in a candy shop. Uh, I think the same could be said for a lot of us. So, yeah, uh, I agree with that. So Davey wanted to be a game developer. Uh, he sat down with the desire to create something that hadn't really been done before and a desire to know something about video games that hadn't really been explored. His idea was to make a video game that broke player expectations while delivering a familiar gaming experience. So we thought back to all of these thought provoking stories and an idea came to mind. What would happen if I went against the narration presented to me. So in his mind, all of these AAA titles that he had been playing all this time made assumptions about the player's experience. It led him down a specific path that asked him to do a specific thing. The story was linear. It never really allowed the players to ask what if. And so he began to refine his idea. His design document reflected the notion that Really, his idea was to mess with the player's head in every way possible. He'd throw them off guard. He'd pretend that there was an answer. And then he'd whisk it away right in front of them. In a 2011 Vice interview, he had said that he just asked himself what would happen if he threw players up against an unconventional narrator. And that the seed of this game was just that one question. A desire to know what would happen if you were able if you were able to disobey the narrator, the answer to which he had no idea, and this was the game that he set off to make. It's this whole convoluted mess. Wow. But Davy Radin wasn't a game developer, and game development tools were really not available back then. Now you can download Unity, and you can download the Epic. Uh, uh, what's Epic's? What is Epic Design Games on? Uh, Frost? No, it's not Frostbite. It is Unreal Engine. No. Thank you. Yes. Is it? Okay. Unreal Engine. Um, you can go online nowadays and, and download game development tools. And there's so much information out there on how to do this. But this was circa 2008. That wasn't the case. People were just getting started. So he turned to kind of the what we do nowadays, online wikis, online forums, you know, where he could interact with others that were working on what we know as the source development kit, uh, which was basically teaching himself how to mod games as he went along. Because that's really all you did back then was you modded games. You, you didn't work too much on standalone stuff. Now, the source development kit is the kit that's used by Valve to create, like, Half-Life 2 and Portal and Left 4 Dead. These are all source games and they were all built on the source engine and the SDK, the source development kit is what you could use to like modify them and, and, and stuff like that. So he gets online to these wikis and forums and, and gets into the SDK and he starts working on a modification for Half-Life 2. 
and he basically created the Stanley Parable. The original modification, the very first version of this game that ever existed, was completely Davy Reedens' work. He created out of all of it. He reached out to the community and he held an audition process to find the narrator, found one he liked, picked his choice, and basically he he put it all together. He had said that he planned to keep the game intentionally short so that players could experience all of the endings uh, while spending without spending an excessive amount of time playing the game. And surprisingly enough, most of what he originally envisioned made it into made it into the original mod. There was really only a few things that he couldn't do simply because he couldn't figure out how to program them into the game to make it work. Um, for instance, there was one point I read that he had wanted to have the player type something on the keyboard and respond to like keyboard input that the game and the narrator would respond to it, but he couldn't figure out how to bind the keyboard input to the action. So he had to like, it ended up as a, to him, a broken puzzle, but because of what the nature of the game is, people interpreted it as a, a, a something else, which was, you know, neither here nor there, but it worked in his favor. That's pretty neat. So, in fact, he had said that at one point development got kind of brutal because he was just sitting alone at his desk working on it with no feedback whatsoever. But he figured it out. The content that he could make work was finished. And initially he play tested it with friends before posting it online. The feedback he got back was positive. You know, upon playing it, he and one of his friends launched into a long discussion about freedom, choice, the nature of video games, which was good because this breathed life back into this project for Davy. He started out making it for himself, but he realized here that he was also making it for other people, which kind of helped. So, so dude releases it. A few weeks before graduating college, he puts it out to the world. He posts the finished mod to a website called ModDV. And upon graduating, you know, he was thinking about moving to Australia to open a video game theme bar. Why Australia? Why a bar? He happened to know people that were doing something similar, um, something like the Mana Bar, which he had worked at. And, and that's what he wanted to do. But then feedback from the mod started to pour in. People were downloading it. People were loving it. People were having the type of conversations that he and his friend had had. And the media was starting to pick it up and write stories about it. So his plans really changed quickly, you know? Yeah. It was just a mod. He made it. He threw it out there and he never thought he, he, he didn't think you don't make this stuff thinking that it's going to be something you want it to be something, but you don't make it thinking it's going to be something. Those are two different concepts, you know? Right. And it was, it was something, it was something important. So he starts to get various offers from other people to work on their game he gets offers from large development studios to come work with them. But in all honesty, he turned all of it down because none of that was the kind of scene that he wanted to work on. Instead, he started to gather other programmers to work on a new standalone, improved version of the Stanley Parable um, and other projects. So this is where William Pugh comes in. Now, William Pugh had fell in love with video games, had fallen in love with video games after playing the Nintendo 64 during a hospital visit while he was six years old. He grew up, eventually went to art school. That didn't last long, two weeks in fact. Uh, he dropped out because he decided he wanted to work on video games. So just like Davey, he wanted to do so during a time which game development wasn't really out there, not a lot of schools, not a lot of, of, of easy tools. And so he too turned to making mods for Source Engine games. Now, among these that, things that he made, he made levels for Team Fortress 2. He made campaigns for Left 4 Dead. He made puzzles in Portal. <clears throat> in fact, the work that he had done for Team Fortress 2 actually earned him a Saxe Award, Rob, do you remember the Sexy Awards at all? Uh, I cannot say that I do, Dave. 
The Saxe Awards were a Valve thing. They lasted about five years. It was a worldwide competition for 3D animated films made in the Source engine. So like all those goofy Team Fortress 2 videos we used to watch, um, they were the kind of stuff that people could do and submit and could earn Saxe's. And, and one of his a project that he was a part of won a Saxe Award. So this dude's done some great type of modding stuff and um and 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 one about it and so, uh, won an award working on it so he had actually heard about the stanley parable as a mod through marcus notch's twitter account marcus notch of course for those of you who don't know is the guy who made minecraft so notch played the stanley parable mod tweeted about it the word got out this is where pew heard about it um he downloaded it he played it and hours later, he found himself on a forum about the game, um, wanting to talk about it, where he noticed that Reden had was looking for people to work on the standalone. So excitedly, he wanted to work on it. He he wanted to to be a part of the team. So Pew emails Davy some of his work. He was drawn to the fact that they both have a similar background where they taught themselves Source, the SDK, and worked through it. And then the two went back and forth until they decided to work together. Davies over here in the United States. William Pugh is over in the United Kingdom. So the two work on this by Skype. They collaborated on the game via Skype for two whole years, working to turn the mod into the standalone version of the Stanley Parable. Originally, the plan was just to recreate the original game beat for beat. But as they started to work together, the concept expanded. Um, you know, you had... Davy, who decided to do different things and William came in and, you know, I'm sure that was the addition of other ideas. Ooh, we could do this. Oh, let's try this. So as part of this revamp, I guess you could say they made, they remade many of the endings from the mod and they added several endings too. Uh, so they worked this game, they revamped it. They submitted it to the stream street stream steam Greenlight service to get it onto Steam. Do you remember Greenlight? I I do not recall that at all, Dave. What's Greenlight? That was when they used to. It was like a fan thing. You would submit it to Greenlight, and then people had to vote. And then the games that would get the most votes were the small indie games that would actually get sold on Steam. Uh, that was how Steam, when Steam first started going from just their games to indie indie games, like from AAA to indie. Greenlight service was how they initially did it, which was a popularity contest. Uh, it was around for a few years and then it got bumped in favor of, you know, the trash pile that's Steam nowadays. So. Hmm. So it wins, you know, it gets greenlit on, on Steam uh, through the service and it's approved in October 2012. So to promote the game, they announced its actual release date, which was October 17th, 2013, alongside a playable demo. But instead of a traditional demo, you know, whereas you play through a section of the game, the Stanley Parable demo, still to this day, if you go online, features completely original content. What they found was that when you make a demo of this type of game with a section of the game, that was taken out of the context of the entirety of the game. It left people who played it confused and annoyed because they had no understanding of how they got there or what was going on. And so a decision was made that the best way to convey what the Stanley Parable was about was to create an additional piece of content that was completely separate from the main game, but also carried the tone and style of the game without spoiling any of it. So the Stanley Parable demo construction facility is what it's called was created and the demo was put out. Even more interesting, Rob, they made personalized vision versions of this demo for the Game Grumps and Adam Sessler when he was on TV way back when to promote the version. And they even re-recorded lines of the of the demo that uh, to be directly dire to be directed directly at the people who are playing it uh, because they knew they would get a lot of eyes on this. And that was part of you know, that personalization is kind of part of the game too, um, which was kind of genius if you think about it. 
No, it definitely is, but and it uh, also helps promote those couple of people they did it for, because, like, hey, these people have a very special version of this demo made specifically for them. Yeah, so they got a lot of play and, and eyes on it with these demos and, and created more buzz for the game, and then October 2013, it comes out, and it rolls. It was a, it was a successful game. And then it's just as quickly it was a, it was there, it was gone. It resurfaced again in 2018. 2018, they announced they were making an expanded version of the game called the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, which was supposed to come out in 2019. It was delayed to 2020. The pandemic delayed it to 2021. The pandemic delayed it again to 2022. And it was actually released earlier this year on April 27th. Uh, that day was specifically chosen because Stanley's employee number is 427. So 427, April 27th. And supposedly the script of all the new content in the game is longer than the entire entire script of, of the entire the entirety of the original game, which is true. There's a lot of new content. So so it's more than t- twice as long now. I'd say the original game was two hours and all the content in the new one makes it four to six. So more than twice. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. So the Stanley Parable is a game you either love or you hate. I think it's a very polarizing game. It, I, I know in our household it's a very polarizing thing. I love this game. It, it, it pokes fun at all the right places for me. I really enjoy it. My wife thinks it's the stupidest, most boring game she's ever seen. So it's really weird the way it is. It's not an action title. It's a game that makes you think. It's a game that you repeat a lot because there's a lot of endings, you know, and you have to go through a lot of it. I mean, but realistically to get, I put it in perspective, you know, the, there, there's a, quote unquote true ending and there's an achievement for getting through it in under four minutes so you can technically run through the entire game in under four minutes you know but there's no fun in that and then part of the fun is learning all the ways to deviate off that main path to get to get different endings basically um i don't know it's it's hard to explain and it's also hard to talk about without ruining it because it's the kind of game you have to experience for yourself. But this is a game that breaks the fourth wall a lot. It knows that it's a video game. It talks to you like it's a video game. It talks to you like you're playing a video game while trying to also be Stanley and talking to you like you're Stanley. And that's part of the fun of it. And even like... I mean, spoilers, but not spoilers at the same time. In the new one, the new one plays around a lot with the concepts of sequels, expansions, and DLC. And some of the new content is is you stumble across reviews from the original Stanley, and the narrator's reading you the reviews like as a good pat on the back, like, oh, we did a good job, didn't we, Stanley? Here's what so-and-so said, and they're reading reviews. And then at one point they read bad reviews and Nero is like, what did I do to this person? Like, <laughs> and it, it's just really funny. You know, he's like, well, can we go back in time and take it back and make this game good for so-and-so? Um, I don't know. I just really, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed this. I still really enjoyed this game. I, I own, I never played the mod. I bought it as a standalone version. And in preparation for this, I bought the ultra deluxe version. I don't regret buying any version. You know, there's, you're gonna, there are people out there that would probably not like spending 20 or $25 on a four. Well, what was originally a two hour game now a four hour game, but I don't regret it at all because I think, what it's trying to do is honestly great, but I also understand that it's not for everybody. I, I think it's, it's not for everybody. Rob, one of the fun, there's a part where <laughs> there's an ending. They're called endings. There's like dozens. There's like a dozen, 12, 15 plus endings in this game. There's an ending where like, uh, without giving too much away, to make a long story short, there's an ending where, he the narrator dumps you into other games and the two two of the games he dumps you in are portal and rocket league 
<laughs> so you get you get dumped into the field on Rocket League, and it's like, wouldn't you rather be playing this? And I'm thinking to myself, well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it, it's hilarious. Some of them are just there's just some weird stuff. I mean, even if you never. I'm, it's hard for me to recommend a let's play because I think part of the fun is the way you experience the game and actually doing it. But still, if you never have any intention of playing it, at the very least, like you can go online and there's playthroughs of, of all the endings. Someone will go through it and there's just some there's some weird stuff uh, that they have in this. But it's it's a lot of fun and it's dry humor. I really like that. That's my dry sarcasm is my thing. And this is the, this game is just that's it. So, but that's that's it, Rob. That's what I think. This is about the time when you tell us what other people think. Do they share my sentiment? Do they share my wife's sentiment? What do we got going on today? <clears throat> well, Dave, as always, I think we should kick it off with some critic reviews and see what the uh, the people who get paid to review games uh, are saying about these. Okay. So with that, we're going to start off with The Mod in 2011. In an article written in Ars Technica, Ben Kuchera wrote that The Stanley Parable is a choose-your-own-adventure book where you can stop and stare at the walls if you'd like. It's pure narrative told through the mask of a video game. If you're expecting something with more gameplay, you'd most likely be left disappointed. You move at your own pace, but that's all the control you're given until you reach one of the game's binary choices. Of course, he says, no one likes to be told that their favorite hobby is nothing but the meaningless task of hitting buttons, and I certainly believe that gaming offers more than this bleak picture suggests. The Stanley Parable makes you think, and that's no bad thing. On the upside, at least, it doesn't tease you with a sequel. Oh man, okay, so real quickly, just interjecting there, Uh, way back in 2013, Davy and William did an AMA as the developers of um, of the Stanley Parable. An AMA isn't Ask Me Anything. It's a it's a basically an interview thread on Reddit. You know, people do them all the time. And someone asked what's next, and Davy teased probably remaking it, and then he said, "Just kidding, no way in hell." Which is really funny because here we are eight years later, they remade the game again. So, no way in hell. Guess what, boys? So. Too funny, Dave. Yep, I'm sure. Well, speaking of 2013, in a 2013 article on IGN.com, Kiza McDonald calls the Stanley Parable an experiment with interactive narrative. She calls it funny, self-referential, surprising, and sometimes uncomfortable to play. What's impressive about it, she says, is how limited environments and apparently limited choices lead to so many different outcomes. In about an hour, she found seven different endings. As soon as she watched someone else play, they found two they'd never that she'd never seen before. The Stanley Parable is an intensely strange experience for anybody intimately familiar with video games and their rules. You think you can break them, but the narrator is always a few steps ahead of you. And ultimately, you're left questioning what the point of choice is at all in a system where every permutation is laid out for you and some omniscient narrator seems able to predict your every move. She found the game very uncomfortable to play at times, like she was trapped in it. It's the closest the game has ever come to replicating that feeling of being stuck in a repetitive dream. But it's also very funny, largely thanks to a clever script and the narrator's spirited performance, and its frequent sorties into the surreal and absurd. She finishes by saying sometimes the Stanley Parable feels like an exploration of the peculiar madness of boredom. Other times, it's something else entirely. A joke at the player's expense, a commentary on choice and consequence, a parody, a bureaucratic nightmare. All its different plot lines and personalities overlap and combine to create something that's intriguingly opaque, but always entertaining and genuinely funny. Whatever it is, it's worth playing. So, I mean, for at least the first two versions, it seems critics found it, you know, some pretty positive there. Yeah, 
They sure did. And, you know, with this one only having been out for uh, four months now, we do still have to want to talk about the 2022 version. And with that, we have an article on IGN where Tom Mark says that plenty's already been said about why the 2013 Stanley's Parable is so phenomenal. So much, in fact, that one section of 2022 Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe is a literal shrine to all the praise and accolades that have been deservedly heaped upon it. <laughs> to prattle on further about how it cleverly messes with your video game expectations or how it dissects the choices games often give us would only belabor long-since-made points. There's essentially an entire new game to play through here, and the idea that it's being presented as anything less is probably one of its best gags. Some of Ultra Deluxe's content takes place in brand new areas that pretty much feel like a straight-up sequel, while other additions play out as remixed or altered versions of Stanley's usual pass through the office. While the Stanley Parable pokes fun at games as a whole, it seems only right that Ultra Deluxe shifts its gaze towards the concept of sequels, expansions, and DLC, as well as some pointed self-reflection about both the original game and its wider reception. He finishes by saying, I don't want to get into the specifics, but the new writing is no less clever, insightful, or funny than the old. And the way it all meshes together is a pretty brilliant take. All right, so critics critics like this game. It's really hard to find a critic that didn't like this game, but these are the people who play games. It's their job to play games, and, and for the most part, their job to heap praise on games. Let's be honest with you. And I think that they're the target audience for this game, to be honest with you, the way it pokes fun at games. But players are a whole different beast. Players don't have to like games. So what did players think about this, Rob? Well, Dave, we were able to find some thoughts from some gamers back when the mod came out, thanks to an article on Arx Technica that covered what some of the readers thought on their forum. One of them states, to me, this felt like the game equivalent of a Sylvia Plath story. Most specifically, the Bell Jar. Coming from a tradition of transcendentalist titles where participants feel like they have more free choice, control over personality and character details, and a just and right purpose. Stanley, aka Sylvia, comes along and says, You're just a player, like everyone else. Your choices suck, they all result in death, and the only winning move is empty and hollow. Okay. Another reader wrote that this game relies totally on breaking the fourth wall, and that's not what I want from a game. So, I guess not everyone was a fan, Dave, though with your wife, you already knew that. Yeah, I definitely knew that. But, the question here, Dave, did opinions change once the game was expanded upon? It's a great question. Did a full standalone game give people a different outlook? Well, Dave... We can start answering that by looking at QBZ on Metacritic, who writes, It's a little short, but every second is fantastic. It took me about three hours to complete, and I'm glad I spent my time playing it. This game also isn't for everyone. If you're used to and only play fast-paced action games, you might not like it. It's more of an interactive, immersive story than a game. Worth your time? Absolutely. Worth your money? Maybe. It depends. Keep in mind, it's $15 for two to four hours of play. It might be worth it to you. It might not be. It was for me. I freaking love this game, but keep in mind, you're not getting a lot of quantity for your money. Just a lot of quality. But if it goes on sale, buy it. Buy the crap out of it. It's great. Guess he liked it. And you know, Dave, QBZ was right. In that $15 for a few hours of gameplay might not be for everyone. No? No. Uh, a case in point is Avedon on Metacritic, who writes, This is unfortunately a bad video game, with very little gameplay and level design that consists of a couple of corridors, a few big rooms, and some random references to other video games. It's oh-so-clever commentary on choice is something I've discussed before with friends within about five minutes while sipping on some coffee for free without having to waste $15 and two hours of my life playing something boring to reach the same conclusion. 
if okay. this was free, I'd be kinder to it as an invitation to a discussion using the gaming medium as language. But it's not worth paying for. All right. Well, someone feels like he didn't get his money worth. Did that opinion stay the same, though? You know, when we looked at critic reviews, we kind of looked at reviews on the mod, the standalone, and now the new one. Do gamers feel the same way about the new one, you know, some eight years later? Well, Dave, to answer that, we'll start off with Frick on Metacritic, who writes that as someone who absolutely adored the original, this game is literally that, but even more. What's not to love? Not only did they remake the entire game in Unity, but expanded with new endings that still carried the brilliant commentary on video games the original had. If more explicit now with a couple. Every step they took into the new content, they were surprised by the game, by how much more it does than they expected. While most of the old endings remain the same, they were happy about it, and it really shows how faithful and passionate they were, and yet still dedicated to not disappoint the player, providing delight and awe. A must-play if you have not played the Stanley Parable before, but an even more must-play if you already have. But Dave, you did ask a great question. Were people split about it? I I would definitely say so, because uh, not everyone had to play it. We have uh, Nep three two one on Metacritic here, who writes that <laughs> this game was a colossal waste of four hours of my time. I didn't find it to be funny at all, even though I get that it's making fun of the gaming industry. The game has multiple pathways and endings, but I found most of them to be stupid and not interesting. The narrator is very annoying. The only redeeming quality, in my opinion, was exploring the huge office building, which sometimes felt very eerie and creepy. And the graphics, frame rate, and controls were good. Other than that, meh. 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 So, you know, definitely a lot of split reviews. People loved it. People hated it. It's just one of those games you're either going to love or you're going to hate. That's, yeah. But enough about, you know, our, our thoughts and everything, Dave. What became of the Stanley Parable or Davy, Davy Redden? Well, the Stanley Parable itself, I mean, it was a flash in a pan. It was a good conversation. Still makes for good conversation. I think that it, I think that it definitely laid the groundwork for some of what we call walking simulators. Uh, this was one of the early ones I remember, and it kind of legitimized it as a genre, even though this makes you think a little bit more than others. So I think that was definitely its contribution was that these type of games got a foothold. And now there's a ton of, I mean, walking simulators slash exploration games. We call them one or the other. You know, Davey himself hasn't done much since the Stanley Parable. He followed this up a few years later in 2015 with a game called The Beginner's Guide, which I I bought and played. It, it, it feels like one of his games. And then he obviously got to work on the Ultra Deluxe Edition here. William Pugh has had a little bit more of a, a gaming career. He founded the indie development studio Crows, Crows, Crows in 2015, their first game was called Dr. Langskov, The Tiger and the Terribly Cursed Emerald, A Whirlwind Heist. It's another short exploration game, clocks in at about 20 minutes in length. Features voice work from uh, British comedian Simon Amstel and Justin Roiland, the creator of Rick and Morty. There's actually a really fascinating story behind that, uh, how Pew and Roiland came together. So Justin Roiland was in California. He was uh, around the vicinity of Respawn Entertainment's offices. Uh, Respawn is the creator of Titanfall. They made Apex Legends. They made Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And I think they did the latest Medal of Honor too. Anyways, he was by their offices and he just randomly tweeted, Hey, is there someone at Respawn that's a Rick and Morty fan? I want a tour. Oh, the joys of being a celeb, you know? Right? I wish. So... Pew reaches out uh, with a reply and basically lies to him about working at Respawn and offering to give him a tour. Pew didn't work at Respawn. He was not even in the United States. He was in the United Kingdom. So 
he plays with Justin a bit with, with this whole like, oh, I just missed you. I'm so sorry kind of game. And then eventually he admits that he's been lying the whole time. Wow. Uh, I mean, that. come on. That's something that sounds right up <laughs> Justin Roiland's. Uh, that's just something that he would do, though. So. Oh, Re- absolutely. That's hilarious. That's great. Uh, so Roiland recognizes Pew's name from the Stanley Parable and the two struck up a friendship. Not too long afterwards, uh, Pew flew out to L.A., where he and Roiland participated in a, a weekend game jam together. And the found the game they created during the game jam became the foundation for their next project. It was a major project. They together worked on a, a, via, a virtual reality game called Accounting. It's you can find it on there as Accounting Plus now. What what, what was the game about? That's a great question. It is not what it sounds like. Um, I have it, and I haven't actually played it, so I should know the answer to that. But I don't know the answer to that. Let's see what it says on its switch. call it. It is advertised. It says Accounting Plus. This is off Steam. Is a nightmare adventure comedy. Experience classic virtual reality gameplay. Clean up your office. Take the battery out of the cooling machine. Play the skeleton xylophone and summon thousands and thousands of demons. Wow! Right? That's a sounds like a cool game. Yep. 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 <laughs> the review here's some dangers it literally has a column that says dangers do not play after midnight if you die in vr you die in real life <laughs> nice <laughs> some characters may be unfriendly and not actively encourage you during gameplay achievements linked to unforgivable acts of human corruption a soundtrack that is way better than a vr game soundtrack should ever have any right to be Subtitles and transitions translations for nine languages. Oh wow, that's internationally dangerous. <laughs> the vacuum of space. Sitting and standing mode are both available and dangerous. And unfortunately, the cops. <laughs> so Yeah, it sounds like they're kind of humor. They made accounting plus, and that was a few years ago, and then of course now we have the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, which was developed by Crows, 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 where they remade the whole game in, um, they remade the whole game in Unity, and they added stuff. I, are you ever going to play this game? Are you talking about Accounting Plus or Stanley Parable? Stanley Parable. I would probably like to, yes. Yeah. Rats. Rats. It's just, it's funny. It's really funny, actually. Especially, like, I already alluded to the part where they, like, and, and the review did, too, where there's a whole section where it reads accolades about it, and then the accolades kind of get flipped on it. And it's just hilarious, because one part's, like, a museum, and then they walk into this, like, um, junkyard, and it's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and it's Steam Reviews. <laughs> wow it just says containers with steam reviews everywhere <laughs> that's it's, pretty great it's phenomenal i mean this oh my god i really really enjoy this it makes me giggle as i play through it so that but yeah that's that that's that's it um i do have a question for you rob because one of the one of the design concepts and some of the reviews made me think about something. I just wanted to spend a couple minutes on it. Um, this game was made intentionally short so that you could experience the whole game and all the endings. You know, sometimes when you want to split endings on a game, like with a big sweeping open world game or an RPG, you got to find a safe spot that's two hours or five hours or ten hours back you know, to be able to go to the second ending. But this game in its entirety is less than an hour. Heck, it's less than 20 minutes in most cases, which means getting from the beginning to the end to all these different endings is 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 different and it was made like that. Do you see the merit in that and making a really short game in that fashion? Or the counter argument is, do you think that'd be really boring? Because that is what people see because you have to play the same thing really quickly over and over again. Does that make sense? Um, I mean, I see how it can be a good idea, although seeing the same opening thing a million times is 
kind of akin to getting beat by the same boss and having to listen to the same opening dialogue a hundred times. And by the end, you can recite it because you've done it so many times and it's just ingrained into your memory and it's never going to leave. That's never happened to me, though, clearly. No, no, it's never happened at all. Uh, that's actually a good point about finding the same boss and dying over and over and over. I don't know. I like, I, I like this game. I like, obviously I like this game. I like how compact it is. I like that you can go through. I, I like that it, it, it's designed so tightly, like everything that you do. If you walk straight, the narrator narrates that you walk straight if you turn to the left, the narration changes. Stanley's now walking to the left over by so-and-so's desk. Or, I mean, every move that you make has narration to it. And, like, you, the bigger you make the game, the harder that becomes to anticipate every single move that your, your players are going to make and creating, you know, some reaction to it. So I really appreciate how tight this game is, basically. I, I think that... I think that it does a really good job at it. And I, yeah, that's all. I think it does a really good job. And I like this. So I like this. Yep. Well, that's good to hear, Dave. I like a lot of games, though. Do you know how you know I like can like a lot of games, Rob? Uh, how is that, Dave? Every single episode, I pretty much sit here and I gush about the games <laughs> that we play. It's very rare for me to not gush about a game that we talk about. It's happened before. You know, if you look at a few episodes, you there are some games that I don't like, but you have to really go back through our library. And where can people go through our library, Rob? Well, Dave, I guess since you asked, I would have to imagine www.memorycardlane.com. What else is on memorycardlane.com? Well, Dave, you can find lovely pictures of Dave and I. Mm. You can find some picture or some links to some other videos that are wow yeah you can find some old recordings that we've done you can also find a calendar with upcoming games so you can submit some questions you have or maybe talk about some of your own reviews some experiences that you have or some other fun stuff and also on there you may find social media such as Rob being on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z and Dave? I'm on various platforms as David is wrong. So pretty easy. If you find a David and he's wrong, that's where you'll find me. Yeah. And is there anything else I'm forgetting about on the website there, Dave? My show notes. I post my research every oh. week. Also, I guess that's kind of important if you like that stuff. Also, a link to our Discord where you can come and chat with us, play games with us. That's pretty cool. Do that. Do the thing. Yep, do the thing. That's uh, we stream our games on our Discord a lot too. So when we're not wanting to broadcast it just to the world, a little bit more intimate of an environment, y'all are more than welcome to come. I'd rather intimacy was our podcast crew. So, but yeah, so there's all that stuff. Um, and that's the Stanley Parable. Yay! Woot, woot, woot. Rob, every week I tell you a story and our listeners, right? Uh, I mean, I guess. And I do so. I do so with the hope of teaching you something new about the game. Something about what it took from the world as its inspiration. And something about what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Now, let's be honest. When I teach i learn you know i couldn't have told you anything about the history of this game before i sat down and did my research about it that's the fun of this podcast for me every week i get to learn new things about my favorite video games and then i get to share them with like-minded people it's really cool gig to be honest with you so as part of our commitment acknowledging that we learn new things and we teach new things and we like learning new things we like to go round table and tell you the listener what our favorite takeaways were. So Rob, what, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, I would have to say, I think it's pretty damn cool how this started out as just a mod. And yeah. then it, it became its own full fledged thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's true. It's kind of, you just think of all the other games we played or talked about on the show. And how many can we say that they came because of a mod? I was thinking that as you were saying that, and I 
I can't come up with much. I remember that Battlefield 2 was a mod originally, because it was originally a, a, a mod for Battlefield called Desert Combat. And then that company was hired by, you know, hired as a development studio, and they helped work on the second game, so that was kind of cool. I don't know what else, though. I'm sure there are others out there, and people are going to be like, this, you idiot, this, you idiot, but that's okay. That it is, Dave. But yeah, I, I really, honestly, I forgot about Battlefield 2. That's, uh, that's a good one to put in there. But enough about my answer. What about yours? Um, what did I learn? What did I learn? I mean, I learned everything about this game. I, like I said, couldn't have told you anything. I got a particular kick out of how him and Justin Roiland met. I didn't even realize that they worked on Accounting Plus together. I have that game. I never knew what it is. Now it's probably worth a play because I like Justin Roiland's sense of humor. And I mean, I like William Pugh as a game developer. So that's a, that's always an end for me. So uh, that, that was, that was it. That was it. Also, it gave me an excuse to buy the ultra deluxe version and play through the game, which I don't regret at all. I had a whole lot of fun playing back through this. So thank you. Rob, before I take it out of here for the week, is there anything you'd like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, I would like to take one moment to say thank you for listening. Thank you for listening week in and week out. We appreciate you being here, and we hope that you appreciate being here yourself. And if not, well, why are you here? I don't know. Why are you here? To listen to the awesome stories about video games, Dave. Clearly. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll do it for this week's story about the Stanley Parable. So let's talk about next week's story, Rob. Next well, week, what is what is next week, Dave? Tell us all about week, it. Next week, I will tell you. Next week, we're heading back to look at one of gaming's highest grossing franchises of all time. It's a game that started the genre that arguably became the staple of arcades everywhere for years upon years. It started when one game designer wanted to create a game that focused more on the one-on-one boss encounters from previous games he had worked on. And this notion led him to create Street Fighter in 1987, which Street Fighter is one of the most well-known gaming franchises nowadays. In its history lies some really interesting influences that I, I never knew where it came from and how it branches out and its designers and its history. It's some really fascinating stuff. So we're going to learn, we're going to learn all about next week. I'm kind of excited for it. Street Fighter is a classic. So stick around and join us as we get our Hadouken on. That was an okay Hadouken. As we take another trip down memory card lane to the thing. Skidding doop bop bop. Mm.